0: Wow. Blob Talk Talk Radio. The Desperate House Witches. My name is Raina Starr. Desperate House Witches is not a GPG or even an R-rated show. So if bad language, bodily functions, or anything else I might say might offend you, this may not be the show for you. But I think this is actually going to be a show for everybody because I have the amazing author Joe Graham on for the hour for this election day special. Desperate House Witches is brought to you by the incredible wicked one herself, the amazing Dorothy Morrison. Check out Wicked Witch Studios at www.wickedwitchstudios.com for all of your witchy needs, and if you need that stuff shipped overseas, check out theangrycauldron.com. Okay, we're getting straight into it. My guest for the hour is the amazing Joe Graham. Hey, Joe. Hi, Raina. How are you? Stressed. <laughs> Scared. <laughs> Worried. Nervous. Um, for folks who don't know, Joe is the author of The Great Wheel, fantastic book, and The Great Wheel Winter. Uh, we're going to talk about both of these books. We're going to talk about how amazingly predictive Joe has been through these books, and uh, let's get into it. So, Joe, I, I, I got to ask you, what is your feeling today? Did you have any issues at the polls? What's happening in your neck of the woods?
1: Well, first of all, I voted a week ago. So, no, I, I haven't been to the polls today. Um, okay. but when I voted, there was no problem at all. Uh, what is my yeah. feeling? There is a great hush, an enormous stillness. And I was saying to someone earlier, you know, when you're at the beach and you're playing around in the water and maybe you're getting out a little bit deep and then there comes a big wave. And you see this wave coming, and nothing you can do at that point. And as it breaks over your head, your feet leave the sand, and you are just suspended. And if you open your eyes, all you see is green water. You Mm -hmm. can't tell where you are. You can't see how far you are from the beach. You can't see where anyone with you is. All you can do is just be suspended in Mother Ocean. And that's oh. the moment we're in today. We are in the wave. And the only thing we can do is just be in the wave. And we'll come, we'll come bobbing to the surface in a minute. We will. And at some point <laughs> in the next, you know, little time, right? Because, you yeah. know, the worst thing yeah. you can do when you're at the beach and that happens is start panicking, right? That's right. the worst thing you can right. do. What you need to do is just be suspended and you will come up because the wave is going to go on in. And that's where we are right now is that moment of hush when we're inside the wave.
0: You know, that just took my stress level down by 10 because I have been way up on a hundred for like a week. Now we voted two weeks ago when, when early voting first started, um, we went the absolute first day because if something were to have gone wrong i wanted to make sure i had plenty of days after just in case so Mm -hmm. our family made a we made a huge plan because we vote in different locations different members of the family vote in different locations we don't all live together so we went to one and I packed a go box. I mean, you're talking about overpacking. I packed <laughs> drinks, snacks, chairs. I packed towels. I packed toilet paper, Joe. I brought books. <laughs> I, brought, I mean, I brought absolute wet naps. Paper towels. I was going to be, I brought charger, two cell phones. I was not going to lose contact. I was going to maintain my hydration. I did not know how long <laughs> the lines were going to be. I was going to be fully, fully prepared. In the meantime, it took one of us an hour. It took another one of us an hour and a half. And those were the Longest wait times for all four of us. Like one person went to one place, I went to another place, somebody went to another place, my other son went to another place. We all had very similar experiences. That it was moving, it was quick, relatively speaking. We were prepared for it to be worse, but because we had a plan, we were all pleasantly surprised. So I just want I to encourage was folks pleasantly
1: to be surprised. Yeah, yeah, it was great, but it was busy, it,
0: but it was great.
1: It it was steady and it I, it was about 25 minutes for me, but and it was very steady. But they were moving through very efficiently um and you know, you and I are in the same state in North Carolina and I think the North Carolina State Board of Elections really deserves kudos because I think yes. in general they have done a very good job of managing the enormous turnout that we're having um, as we speak my sister is being a poll volunteer in Durham um, you Go know ahead. I think they've done a great job of you know trying to manage this and that's not perfect and there are some places where there have been problems but I think in sure. general given the population and the enthusiasm to vote this year they've done a great job
0: I, I have to agree, everybody that I dealt with um, and I dealt in an area that had some Republicans for one of us who were who was voting and but everybody was very polite. Um, there were no problems that I witnessed firsthand so i was I was very happy about that. Of course, you know I'm one woman with three men, so it's not like I'm in any danger. So to speak, because nobody would leave me alone because I'm the little mommy, you know, that everybody in my family protects. So, and it's very sweet. And I'm I'm very lucky to have children who love me, you know. So it's that was a very nice thing. But we were prepared. I mean, you know, we've heard a lot of things that the current occupant of the lighthouse has been saying. And, you know, we live in a state where there is a goodly amount of folks who feel as he does. And, uh, you know, that can be a tricky situation so we were just you know we were just all on lookout patiently for each other and 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 again it was it was very well done and you know the the folks in charlotte are amazing we were very lucky the lines moved beautifully very very well and everybody was pretty much keeping their cool because i think we all recognize you know that Everything is on the line. And I know we say that mm-hmm. every single election, that it's the most important election of our lifetime. But the fact is, every election is the most important election of our lifetime. And I wish people would take that more to heart. Well,
1: I think this actually is. I mean, uh, taking it back the great wheel, about every 80 years, we have a sea change. We have a major yep. Inflection point in our nation's history. And this is one of those points. And so, you know, to illustrate that for people who haven't read the book, okay, it's 2020. Count back I'm 80 sure. years. Where are you? Yep. Where are you? You're in 1940. You're 1940. on the eve of World War II. Yep. The war has already begun in Europe. The United States is torn. Are we going to get in? Are we not going to get in? There are Riots in the streets that are both pro-communist and pro-fascist. There's a plot to assassinate President Roosevelt by an American fascist group. I mean, this is an inflection point. Count back another eight years. Where are we? 1860, the beginning of the Civil War, the election that begins the Civil War. Count back Mm -hmm. 83 years. 84 years, and we're to 1776. We're to the Declaration of Independence, the American Revolution. Go back another 80 years, roughly. And we're to the Salem Witch Trials and all of the conflicts about whether America is going to be a theocracy or not. And so every 80 years, we hit one of those points. And that's where we are now. It's not unexpected, it's not unpredictable, but it is critical.
0: Yes, very much so. And I, you know, I was looking at, because you didn't obviously write this book, uh, a few months ago, this book has been, you know, you, you wrote it, it had to be edited. I'm sure it had to be published and released. And I'm looking, I mean, I'm already like in the great real winter and I'm looking at the season of in bulk 2020. See folks, this is why you've got to get these books. (laughs) So you know what I'm talking about, but you show that in bulk 2020, Is the line between winter, midwinter, spring equinox, where things are still shifting. However, we are now in crisis era, moving towards, I don't know what we're moving towards. So what I want us to kind of discuss is, okay, so you were able to identify in advance where we would be right now, which is... Astounding to me. So where well, are we going?
1: Where are we going? The next <laughs> about five years is the crisis era. And that is um, until about 2025. Historically, these crises take about four to five years to resolve. And astrologically, Um, that is what we see when you look at, for example, the recent work of Ivo Dominguez. I mean, he is showing, you know, a series of challenges and aspects to the birth chart of the United States running through February 17th, 2025. And so, you know, he's gotten to this by a different path, but he's gotten to a lot of the same conclusions. And when we talk about tower time and these other metaphors that people have been using, you know, these are different ways of coming at the same truth. And so I would say, you know, what we're looking at is several phases of this crisis. And right Mm -hmm. now where we are, we are at the end of the beginning. And I'm paraphrasing Winston Churchill in 1940 when he said, we are not at the beginning of the end. We are at the end of the beginning this 2020, the pandemic, the era of Trump's presidency here, has been the beginning of the crisis. And so now we're going into the next phase. mm
0: -hmm. And the next phase is going to be very challenging. Go ahead. Yeah, I think people don't realize that no matter what happens today, a Biden win would not mean by any stretch the end of what we're currently going through.
1: No, no. I mean, certainly a Biden win is the best outcome and a Biden Mm -hmm. landslide is the best possible outcome, but that's not going to be the end of it. The the challenges that we face and the deep divisions in our nation are not going to be, Healed by a Biden win, and right. I say healed and if you if you read through winter, one of the things I talk about toward the end is how do you reestablish civil society at the end of it? How do you invite Concordia? How do you reconcile after mm-hmm. this is done and yeah you know that is one of the difficult things. Coming out of a crisis era and done badly, what it does is leave wounds and scars that fester through the next 80 years. Um, Already today, I was seeing an article on a major newspaper, uh, someone who was saying that, you know, if we win, what we need to do is punish them.
0: And I thought, you know... (laughs) Yeah, you know, no, because people who have. I'm I'm sorry, I was just going to say that retribution seems to be the, the thought process of the day, and I understand where it's coming from because when people attack each other and they lose sight of how it even started to begin with, um, you don't heal those wounds very easily and when you have someone who's already threatened violence in the streets if they don't win you know there's there's no there's no happy place to go there they you know the door is already closed to peace retribution does not bring about peace i understand why retribution is such a tasty feeling but it doesn't yeah. heal a nation and it doesn't get exactly. people the things they need to live. And this is going, I mean, you know, the pandemic isn't stopping just, in, you know, if you think that the the pandemic is going to stop with a new president, it's not. Um, there's yeah. going to be, I think, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think the pandemic is going to be at least another year at the levels that it currently is rising are rising at. What, do you agree with that? I don't know if it will be a year but I think it will certainly be at least
1: six months and it may be a full year. Okay. I, you know I think that that depends on you know I, the medical advances and that's not really terribly predictable um, but I you know I think it we're certainly in for at least another six months through next spring and possibly another mm-hmm. full year but I guess, and this is one of the points I make in Winter about invoking Concordia, is the difference between um, punishment, between crimes and mistakes, right? If someone deliberately commits a crime, yes, and, and in this administration has deliberately committed crimes, yes, they should face justice. But Someone who has made a mistake, who has believed a lie that someone told them. Believing a lie Mm -hmm. someone tells you is not a crime. It's a mistake. Correct. And, you know, as a parent, let's say your child makes a mistake that causes you heartache and trouble and making you stay up at night crying over it. Do you want to punish, them, or do you want them t- to never do that again? <laughs> of
0: course, you never you know, want them to do it again. Sure.
1: What I of want from my daughter is not for her to, you know, be punished. I want her to stop this stupid thing. I want her to right. understand why she, that why this was a bad mistake <laughs> and that she should never do it again. I don't want her to suffer.
0: <laughs> You no, know, and
1: I feel not. like when we move into when we move into the rhetoric of revenge, we want and I saw someone saying this on Twitter today. I want every Trump voter to suffer, and i'm like, no,
0: we're better than that. We must be better than that." We have to try to be better than that because i don 't feel see here 's the difference though when you 're talking about your child you 're talking about someone you love the The point where it breaks is that you expect first of all, you expect other adults to know better, therefore do better because you want everyone to see i mean and it 's partially a selfish don 't you see everything the way I see it type of thing. But the fact of the matter is is that you're only going to breed more destruction and more harm. You know, I'm sure you saw the photos where the the trucks were surrounding the Biden bus. That was dangerous, not just for the people on the bus, but for the people doing it, for the people chasing the bus. They could have been killed. You know, a bus doesn't stop at the same rate or at the same, um, it's not even the same braking system as a pickup truck. You know, people could have been killed accidentally. and, And then what? What do you do when someone dies? and you had a a hand in it, do you celebrate, or does some of your humanity actually go away? And I think that no matter what, no matter who you are, no matter what the circumstances, when you injure another person, I think when you do it, you'll lose part of your humanity.
1: Mm hmm Yes. And And
0: that's a a problem, (laughs) you know.
1: You know, we have mechanisms for that. The charge is reckless driving. We have that charge, you know we don't need to to come up with a new means of revenge. We charge people who drive recklessly with reckless driving yeah and that's justice, but,
0: but not revenge justice doesn't, but just but justice doesn't always work, you know I mean no. like when no, you, if you if you take it into other realms, you know when you know police brutality is is never kept in check or very rarely kept in check people get angry so what can we do to try to keep that anger in check when something horrific or an injustice is being committed that you that you don't see that the 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 ends don't justify the means in essence you're not you're not being corrected or punished in such a way that the law has done its due diligence where it is unfair. How do you reconcile that in yourself? I
1: think across the board, we need to make our systems work again. That so many Mm -hmm. of our institutions are failing people. And it's not that the idea of the institution is wrong. It's that, it is no longer working as it should, and we need to fix our institutions, but we need to think very carefully about throwing out our institutions. You know, as, as a parent, I say, my daughter's school is not working very well for her in remote learning. Do I say, uh-huh. well, what we should do is throw out the idea of public schools? Oh, not um, at all. <laughs> no. What we need to do is make our schools work better, not right. throw out the idea of public education. So, I, you know, I I, I empathize strongly as, as a queer person with frustration with unjust institutions. But at the same mm-hmm. time, I think we need to think very carefully about throwing out the institutions rather than about reforming the institutions.
0: Does that make sense? Of course. And I think what happens is, is that people lose sight of what the, what the cause and effect, is, effect are or can be of certain actions. I think, you know, there's always a visceral immediate knee-jerk reaction that wants to fix it immediately or permanently. But if you do that, there is a ripple effect that affects everything else around it and in ways that you may not have planned for. Exactly. And
1: we can draw lessons about that from the cycle in the Great Wheel. For example, and this is one example I talk about briefly in the book, in 1940, one of the American fascists wrote this incredibly offensive article saying that the Jews of Baltimore needed to be locked up in a ghetto like the Warsaw Ghetto. Mm. Terribly Mm -hmm. offensive, anti-Semitic, horrible. And so the response of a Democratic congressman, Congressman Dyes, was that there should be a congressional committee to investigate this kind of hate speech and, be able to arrest people for saying these things. The Dies Committee is, was the original name of it, but it is better known as the House on American Activities Committee. Because yep. 10 years later, under Joe McCarthy, this was ever, anyone who was presumed to be a communist or knew someone who was a communist or who had once read a socialist paper and people lost their lives, their livelihoods, their careers, their children, because they were communists and they'd been caught by the House American Activities Committee. And what Congressman Dyes meant, he meant very well. He was trying to fight this horrible, offensive hate speech. But what he did was create a, something that was used to harm thousands and thousands of people because of the ideas they read about. And so we need to be mm-hmm. really careful when we start wielding that sort of justice that we are not yep. creating monsters
0: And it just seems like that's what we do naturally. And it's so disheartening sometimes. And listen, I'm guilty of it. I'm the first to admit I have a flash anger. I get really pissed off really quickly, especially when I see somebody harmed, you know. But, you know, everything is through a personal lens. I don't necessarily know what kind of karma or what kind of, Backstory. I'm, you know, a lot of us hear an immediate story, something that happened five minutes ago, and we don't really know all the facts. We make Mm -hmm. a decision based on immediate detail, which is not complete, and we fly all over the place. And I'm frightened by mob mentality. And I see so much of it on social media, and I find it really kind of scary. Yes, it is.
1: And it is. It's terribly scary. Um and I'm sure, you know, we've seen it in pagan circles. I've certainly seen it in fandom circles. It's not always about politics. Somebody gets the idea that a particular, you know, fanish pairing is evil and suddenly people are being attacked and ostracized and just run off out of town on a rail because they don't like a particular pairing or they do like a particular pairing. And social media feeds that mob mentality because you can do it without seeing the other person. You don't see the harm you do. And, you know, on one occasion I said to, when people were dogpiling someone about this, I said, now, if you saw 50 adult women standing around a crying 16-year-old girl in a parking lot and shrieking at her, would you be comfortable with that? No, of course not. Because that's what's happening. Mm -hmm. The person who has offended by saying the wrong thing is a 16-year-old girl, and these are adult women in their 30s screaming at Mm
0: -hmm. her. We would
1: never find this acceptable in real life.
0: No, not but when we you're face-to-face, face, but, but we do online. And it's absolutely crazy. And, you know, a lot of people, and I'm, I'm not really a fan of jingos, jingolistic words. You know, it seems like every um, generation has a new entry into the language. But the fact of the matter is, is that cancel culture is a real thing. <laughs> You know, it we is. want to immediately. It's like we're a pack of antibodies, and a foreign thing has like come into our midst, and we don't know what it is, and we don't. We assume it's foe instead of friend, so we want to eliminate it, and it's really fucked up. I'm sorry. There's no other way it, to put it. Really it really is. It really is. And you, know?
1: um, you know, I feel like. That as we as we go further uh, into the last phase of winter, about three to four years from now, and then into spring, what we're going to see, I think, is orthodoxy, and that that whether that is orthodoxy coming from the right or coming from the left, it's a phase in which we are socially norming, and uh-huh. where. You know, that cancel culture mentality, in some ways, it's getting rid of real problems. In some ways, it's exposing predators. But where this always goes, whether it's high Victorianism or whether it's the 1950s, is Mm. conformity. Is people need to think and believe and feel a certain way. And just to give you an example, for example, from and from romance writing. One of the things which is now terrible is age difference. And suddenly, this this is horrible and abusive. And so if your female lead in a story is 20 and your male lead is 25, this is obviously abusive. And I just look at this, hearing younger women say this, and I'm like, what in the world? But this is one of the, it's grooming behavior for an older man to be interested in the younger woman, even if it's a five-year age difference. And I'm like, you know, on one level, you know, we're talking about, you know, ending the ability of sexual predators to prey on people, but we're carrying it too far. And Mm -hmm. we always carry, you know, in this era, we always start carrying stuff too far. And that's one of the cautions for about, you know, 2030, about 10 years from now, is where do we see the orthodoxy carried too far?
0: Oh, yeah. And I just feel like, you know, when I observe the Republican stand on several issues, abortion, um, same-sex marriage, which is just marriage if you ask me, but nobody cares about my opinion. But anyway... You know, it it feels like they are forcing or trying to force a reset to the 50s.
1: Well, I, I think that is very much the case. And I think, but I think we need to be careful, too, of over-orthodoxy on the left. You know, it's easy to see that somebody else's house is on fire. But it's harder yeah. to see when your house is on fire. And, but and at the same yeah, time, it is I'm, a lot
0: that's easier to see them.
1: Because I know you know better
0: than I do. <laughs> well,
1: no, I mean, I think a lot of this is, you know, it's very instinctual. For example, yeah. how many times have you seen recently in the pagan community someone blasting someone else for not doing it right? It, always.
0: What time is it? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you, you know? know, and and you know, trying to create an orthodoxy rather than say, you know, one group chooses to do it one way, and another group chooses yeah. to do another way. Nobody's making anybody do a particular thing. And if person A wants to do it that way, and their group is okay with that, fine you know, it's not anybody else's problem, and I feel like that—that that is one of the issues, and I, I have noticed that in in-house spats, in the pagan community, in the Fannish community, and every community, is, right now, is this desire to somehow create an acceptable orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, every group should adhere to this principle, and What I think is every group should adhere to principles that they consent to because these are relationships. And what different people consent to is personal. If you want a group that, you know, meets Skyclad and somebody else wants a group that doesn't, that is a matter of your personal consent. Not, right. oh, this is the way it should be at least mm-hmm. that 's how I feel about it.
0: no, I agree that 's why we have different groups. However, when you go from one group to another and you 're judging another group that 's where the problem lies i mean you 're exactly. allowed to have any kind of, exactly. you 're allowed to have any kind of group you want I mean, if you want to have a group that exclusively meets with people with purple hair that's your group for people with purple hair that's fine yep you know yep. it's not a group i need to be in it's not a group i was invited into i you know it's maybe if i ever decided i wanted to have purple hair i might be invited to that group that's fine but not everything but and this is something i say constantly not everything is for everybody Yes. Period. Yes, exactly. That's
1: very wise. And I think one of the issues in our nation today is in fact because of the richness and diversity of our nation, there is no way to come up with rules that everyone consents to. Right.
0: Somebody Oh I didn't even think about
1: that. Somebody (laughs) is always being forced to yield. Some group yeah, is always true. losing. And so one of the possibilities is what if, in fact, we could have different groups? This morning um, I was reading an article by Neil Howe, who is the, one of the authors of The Fourth Turning, a seminal work on the great wheel generational theory. Uh, he, I read his first book back in the early 90s, and he had an article this morning talking about Succession in other words, secession. In other words, what if the United States split? Mm-hmm. And I wondered about that. You know that is, in fact, a way to say, OK, if different majorities, if different groups of people want to live in different ways, let them. rather than trying to come up with one answer that fits everyone in the United States. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I talk about in the Great Wheel as a pagan value is our valuing of plurality, that we as pagans understand that different people, somebody worships Mercury, somebody else worships Inanna. That's cool. Somebody else worships a completely different goddess from a completely different culture. Great. Somebody else just kind of generally thinks that maybe the gods exist. Okay, that's cool too. We, yep. we believe that it's okay to have different paths and different appropriate for different people. So when you think about if you try to make a rule that applies to every person in the United States, no matter what that rule is, a lot of people are going to be very unhappy with it.
0: Hmm. But isn't that the nature of the peaceful transfer of power, that sometimes you're in power and sometimes somebody else is in power? It is. But there's
1: a point where some people are never getting any power, right? Some people are always to injustice. And... You know, how how do you deal with the oppression of the majority? If as a queer Mm. person, you know, I grew up when seventy percent of people disapprove of me. Does that mean I don't have any rights? Because seventy percent disapprove of me?
0: And so but, but that's But that's kind of my point about it. That's why it's so important for power to be shared or distributed correctly. Maybe the whole system is the problem and we need to build a new system where everyone has, everyone really has a seat at the table. You know, the great Ann Richards said, if you're not at the table, you're probably on the menu and I was a huge fan of hers, Governor Ann Richards from Texas, and, yeah, um, mm-hmm. you know, she was, she was a brilliant woman, And but the fact of the matter is, is that too many people are not at the table, and how do we make power and equity, how do we get to power equity is my question, you know, is it that we all have to split into groups, or is just the group needing a whole new approach?
1: I think, and this is just this is my my opinion. So please feel free free to disagree. I think we have reached the point where we are so diverse that the only way to have any group rules is to perpetually oppress somebody mm. because. Hmm. There, it's just too many people. It's like, let's, let's say you're going to take your three best friends out to lunch back in the day when we did that, right? You're going to take your three <laughs> best friends out to lunch. You can probably uh-huh. pick a place, right? That's not too difficult. Yeah. But let's say you are planning a lunch for 40 people, most of whom you've never met, who are from a complete variety of walks of life, dietary restrictions, religious restrictions, physical necessities, and you need to plan a lunch menu for them. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I get it.
0: Yeah. I mean It's a lot. It's a lot. I
1: had a I had an event actually in Charlotte once. Um, and I was told that what I had to do with this lunch menu was that it had to be accessible to vegetarians, vegans, be kosher, halal, gluten free, and involve all locally sourced organic material. Oh, shit.
0: <laughs> I don't know how you would do that. <laughs> wow. Well, okay. you couldn't.
1: I mean, that was, just, that was simply the answer is you can't. Yeah. The only thing you can serve is a leaf of lettuce at that point because there is no meal that you can produce that will be tasty yeah. and that will fulfill every dietary requirement. And so the only way to fulfill right. every dietary requirement is to let different people eat different things. Right. If you can have six menu options, then you can feed this crowd. But you can't feed them all the same menu option.
0: True, true. I get it. If you have
1: one option that's kosher and one option that's vegan and one option that's gluten-free and one, you know, then you can cover it. And people can choose which option they want.
0: Yeah.
1: And that, of course, is the key. People get to choose which option they want rather than Mm. everyone has to eat the gluten-free oatmeal, which is the only option that suit that fits all the requirements. Yeah.
0: Maybe not the tastiest option, but something everyone could digest. I mean, I understand what you're saying. I'm being facetious there, but, you know, you see what I mean. But I get it. No, of course, and and so my question is: Is this a situation where, you know, like I've always looked very fondly on the the multiple party system in Great Britain? You know, House of Commons. You have the Democrats, Liberal Democrats, the Conservative Democrats. I mean, you have something for everybody, and to me, that seems like a parliamentary system is the most ideal way to go more and more people are able to have a seat at that table Mm -hmm. is that something we should be moving to I think the parliamentary system does provide more options
1: but and because you know generally having a majority requires building a coalition um, but they're still going to create a coherent policy and you Mm -hmm. know The United States is bigger and more populous than the entire European Union. True. You know, when you talk, North Carolina, it by itself has more population than the eighth largest country in Europe. It is bigger than Ireland, than Spain, than Switzerland. I mean, you know, you you look at the population of po- North Carolina has about the same population as Poland.
0: Wow! And North That's Carolina amazing. is not the largest
1: state. California is, no. by itself is bigger than Germany.
0: That's I never I never consider that though. I never think about that. And yes, it's true. Wow. Yeah. I mean, but that would mean we are so far behind it, you know? I mean, when you have so many more people, there should be that many more options than just two parties. And listen, it's not that, and I've had this argument up, down, and sideways, because of the way our system works, when you get down to Election Day, you only do have two choices, and you know mm-hmm. third party voters who i've you know um had very public issues with i've said you know it's great that you want a viable third party i would love multiple parties but if you're not actively working on it between elections because a lot of the time the only time we hear from some of these folks is when it's a presidential season you know and i I've, I've i understand wanting more options but they have to be somewhat viable. You can't just bring attention to it in the 11th hour. Mm -hmm. I agree.
1: Yeah, I I agree. If there's going to be another party, it needs to be, it needs to have some tease, not just. Yeah. Yeah. Now, one thing we may see is a split in the Republican Party. I think Mm -hmm. that is one possible outcome of this crisis, that the Republican Party does split, and that does create a viable third party with a large constituency.
0: You mean like the Tea Party?
1: No, I mean like, say, the party of Trump and the party of Mitt
0: Romney. Ah, decency. Yes, I remember Mitt Romney. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. I would like to see it not be – I mean, but they seem to go so hard. Every time there's a split in any party, really, it seems to go hardcore radical to a point where even folks who are a regular, you know, a part of the the, the already existing party are like, "You guys are just way too far." But shouldn't there still be a seat at the table for people that maybe you and I consider to be going too far? Or, I mean, because everything you have always said to me about, you know, uh, what's the word? Uh, we were just talking about it. Um, when you don't let p- freedom of speech, in a matter of speaking, or um, when you stop people from from. Uh, What's the word when you stop people from saying what they're feeling? Um, Censorship. Thank you. Okay. Censorship. I'm I'm so concerned about censorship because of the example you gave me the first conversation we had that it stayed with me. So I'm always concerned about any kind of censorship being a concern. You know, how far is too far? Well, that's a good question and I think that's something
1: that everyone is wrestling with right now um especially in the issue of social media. You know, at what point are people freely expressing themselves and at what part, point are they harming others? And right. You know that that is one of the thorny issues that there's not an easy answer to. And, you know, I just gave the example of Congressman Dyes and his good-intentioned yeah. um, attempt to end hate speech, which turned out to be so horrible. Um, yeah. You know, I, it's a it's a very thorny question. Um, how far is too far? But
0: how, but you know, I don't, I mean, there's no answer. That's the problem. There's no real concrete answer because no matter what happens, someone is going to have, somewhere is going to have a negative feeling about something you say, no matter what it's about or whom it's to. So, you know, when I was a kid, we always erred on the side of You have to let everybody speak whether you like it or not, whether it's ugly or not, because the minute you tell somebody you can't say that, you have already put limitations on what you yourself can say. You've already thrown that that block up for yourself and anybody you care about or people you don't care about. You've, You've already instituted a policy that you can't live by. So, my feeling is, is that as ugly as things get and as hateful as things get, you really are walking a tightrope when you consider something hate speech because your hate speech to somebody else is just an opinion. I think, however, if you incite someone to cause violence, I think that is a definite line. Do you think that's a definite I line? I agree.
1: I agree and so I think
0: there is there? a difference
1: between yeah between you know expressing a general opinion as you know mm-hmm. even if that opinion is awful if i say mm-hmm. let's i'm i'm being hypothetical i'm not saying this for real women are smarter than okay. men uh-huh. that is not hate speech now if no. i say Joe Smith, who lives at 126 Lawn Drive, is a dumbass. That may be hate speech. That is swatting someone, that is outing somebody, that is organizing people to go over to Joe Smith's house. That's yes. different. That yes. is causing harm to Joe Smith. And so I think right. one of the exactly. things when we're trying to figure out a line is what's a general opinion? And what is inciting harm on a person.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree. But in because terms of I think the
1: Great Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you, you, you. In terms of the Great Wheel, there tends to be a cycle about speech. You know, in the in late autumn and in early winter, where we've been since the nineteen nineties, there tends to be maximum freedom of speech. Everything goes, right? It's a big Internet jungle and anybody can say anything. And to get kicked off a platform, you pretty much have to kill your dog on television, right? Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: then the reaction to that is tightening things because it goes too far. It goes way too far. And now we're in the part where it's just flipped, Public opinion has just flipped. We need to tighten it. We need to restrict it. We need to restrain it because it has gone so far and so wrong. And so that's where we will be through the end of winter and spring. And then in summer, around 2040, a Mm -hmm. younger generation coming up will say, I don't understand why saying these things is forbidden. I'm going to say all the forbidden things and it will swing the <laughs> other way. <laughs> and, and so just like with, you know, we see this pattern with parenting, right? One generation is sure. underparented, parented and so they're helicopter yep. parents. And then uh-huh. their kids are like, oh, my God, let me breathe, let children breathe. They, their free spirits should not be inhibited. And so they let their kids run right. out. And then you switch right. back and forth and back and forth. And that's what fuels the cycle. The cycle is not woo. It's not woo, woo, woo. It's not the, the, you know, this is because of the gods. This is because of how people act and react. If you were very strictly raised, you're probably less strict with your kids. If your kids were very permissively raised, they're probably very strict. And we go back and forth (laughs) and back and forth. (laughs) It's really and so, amazing,
0: and, you know, I, I love this book. I love both books, but the thing I love, and I want to encourage folks to buy both of these books because you will see the pattern, how beautifully predictive it is, and it will give you guidance into the future. I'm sorry, I just got to brag on you a little bit here. Um and as far as The Great Wheel Winter goes, it carries you through these upcoming difficult times. And what Joe has done with rituals and, and ways to focus on getting through these storms and tribulations is really wonderful. So if you are interested in this amazing set of books, I've got to encourage you to get them. They are fantastic
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate that. My goal no, was—it's
0: it's important to
1: create kind of a map because you know, so a couple of years ago in 2017, 2018, I saw so many people panicking as they realized, "Oh my God, there is Tower Time," and yeah, yeah I, I wanted to write this to say there is Tower Time, and it is a season, just like winter is a season. You know, we know it's coming. We know it's going to be tough, but it is a season. It is a natural part of the world, and that doesn't mean we shouldn't worry. It doesn't mean we shouldn't take it seriously, but it does mean that we should understand that it's part of the context of the wheel, the great wheel, not just as the same way that winter is part of the wheel of the year. You know, our ancient ancestors watched the sun rise later every day and set earlier every day and wondered what if the sun never comes back but of course they knew that it does this every year and it's scary Mm -hmm. and it's cold and it's but it's going to it does it every year and then we prepare for winter and it comes but also we know that spring will follow it
0: Thank you so much for saying that. This this hour has really, I mean, I was at the edge. <laughs> and you pulled me back. And I so appreciate you for doing that. Oh, because spring <laughs> will you're, come. You're, it will come. It will be okay. No matter what the turnout is, it's going to be okay. And, and I think that is the greatest message that anybody can get today no matter what it's going to be all right there's a road through there are rituals to do there are plans i'm telling you the great wheel and the great wheel winter i i can't recommend them highly enough great books if you're stressed if things don't go the way we hope they go i really and even if they do there's still things to come that we need to be prepared for, no matter what happens tonight or over the next yes. week or month. Because
1: <laughs> it may not be We, we are not out so, of the woods, you know. If we're we not get out through of the woods. this storm, this is getting through a storm at bulk, right? You have an ice storm at Imbolc or a snow storm at bulk. Winter's not over. <laughs> it's not over. Yeah. It's not over. <laughs> but, but at the same time, you can look ahead and you can say, "It's not going to be like this in April."
0: There you go. Because there you go. And,
1: <laughs> and, yeah.
0: It's going to be okay. Say, you
1: know. We can't say on in bulk. You know. Are is are there three more weeks of bad weather? Are there four more weeks? Are there five or six more weeks? We we can't know that. But what we can right. know is that spring will come.
0: We're going to be all right. <laughs> we're going to make it through. We are going to make it through. We're going to make it through. We're going to make it through, seriously. So, so keep heart. It's going to be okay. So I've got to ask you before I let you go, because we're only down to like a minute and a half. <laughs> What are your predictions for tonight? I think that Biden will win.
1: I think that his margins will be fairly large, but I think that there are states that will not accept the situation. I think there is going to be down to the electoral college. I think December 21st is the critical date.
0: Wow. I think okay, December, everybody, write, down, write it down. December 21st is the critical date writing it down now (laughs) (laughs) Uh, amazing joe graham i think you're amazing i really appreciate you coming on and and putting my pleasure back together (laughs) absolutely i can't wait until we can talk about your next book too thank you again so much thank you i appreciate you having me on Oh, great. I will be coming back to speak with you in a couple of minutes. All right. Okay. Okay. Bye. All right, everybody. I will be back with Starboostamante for the 415 on Thursday and Talison on Friday and Courtney Weber on Saturday. And I think I have a Sunday show, but I don't remember. <laughs> but anyway, okay. If you haven't voted, vote. And I will talk to you on the other side of all of this. Have a great afternoon. Bye, everybody. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?